Good morning and happy new year. All right, you guys are awake. I was a little worried about that, to be honest. It's a late night, there's a football game on, somebody's playing, turned out well, so it's good. Uh, my name is J.C. Thompson, I'm the family pastor here. I am uh, very glad that you are here today to join us as we begin a new year. Uh, and I am privileged to start a new series with you today called The Battle, Overcoming the Enemies to Spiritual Growth. Uh, and we're doing this series really as a response, as a help to the series that we did in the fall, uh, which was nine weeks on what we believe God wants for us, what we believe God wants for every person. And I believe we have uh, a slide kind of summarizing that series that we did in the fall. Beautiful. Uh, and God wants for us to pursue a relationship with him. And we talked about all the uh, complexities, the details, the process, and, and all those pieces. But there is an enemy who does not want us to pursue a relationship with Jesus. And there are things in us we don't want to pursue a relationship with Jesus. And then there's a system that gives us exactly what we want, and that is not the things of the Father. And so for these next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about the enemies to our growth, the enemies to our relationship with God. And so I want to kind of give you an overview of what that's gonna look like, and we're gonna have one passage that we kind of use as our theme, as our uh, a category for how we're gonna talk about this series, and it comes from Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. And you can go ahead and turn there. This passage is an unbelievable passage that Paul gives to us. And he is laying out here for us what is happening, what has happened to us in, in being saved. And so he lays out for us that he sees some things, some things that were against us before we became followers of Jesus, still against us as we pursue life in him, but he makes us very aware of what those enemies are. And he says this. Once you were dead. Now I wanna stop there which is obvious for a preacher to do, get a couple words in and stop, I know. But that word dead, Perry talks about us and the version of the gospel that we hear all the time. And I think this is clear to articulate to you guys because I want you to understand that this is the gospel. We were dead. We weren't sick in need of some medicine. We weren't drowning in need of a life preserver. We were dead. There was nothing in us that was good. There was nothing in us it was leading us towards a relationship with God the Father. We were dead. You don't see dead people asking for help. You don't see dead people reaching or making steps or making progress because they're dead. See, Scripture clearly lays out for us that there is no life apart from the Father. Paul continues to say, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, which we'll be talking about today. Obeying the devil, which we'll cover uh, coming up in a couple weeks, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, all of us, used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, which is us as an enemy. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. 
So this passage lays out for us three enemies towards our pursuit of Jesus. First of all, the world, which I will talk about today. The world is external temptation to sin. In other words, factors outside of us uh, tempting us to sin. Then there's the flesh, which we'll cover next week, which is internal temptation to sin. And then there's the devil, which we'll cover in a couple weeks, and that is supernatural temptation to sin. And it's very easy for us to kind of pick one as our favorite. The devil made me do it. This world is corrupt and evil. I'm just a horrible person. But all three of these systems work together. And it can be overwhelming to know that there's evil inside of you, that there is evil outside of you, and then there's evil that you can't even see at work to destroy your life. It can be overwhelming to know that on every side you are hemmed in. But there's hope. So what we want to do in this series is, first of all, we want to make you aware. We want to make you aware of some of the schemes and the strategies that each of these enemies have. And then we want to arm you with tactics that you can have as you do battle against these enemies. And then last, we want you to know that you have allies, that we are not to fight this battle alone. Not only is God the Father on our side, not only is Jesus Christ the Son who came in flesh and died a sacrificial death for us, not only is he on our side, but we also have the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us as a companion. And not only that, but you are in a place, a gathering place today of people who are redeemed, who have been given life. And they're here to battle alongside you. And so our hope in this series is to make you aware of there is forces, there are forces, there is a being, and even us get in the way of growing closer to Jesus Christ. And for me today, I want to focus on one passage. That passage comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And this is the one that I would spend a lot of time with this week as you think about this very topic. This passage lays out what is the world to us. And so it's a great way to gain awareness and it will also give you some things to think through as far as strategies go. So I'm just gonna read the, that section of scripture to you today and then we will talk about what it means together. 1 John chapter 2. Starting in verse 15, it says this. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God live forever. So today we're going to talk about that, but before we talk about that, there are probably some of you in this room, very wise people, who immediately said, JC, God tells us to love the world. He loves the world. What does this mean to not love the world or the things that it offers to us? It seems like those things might contradict themselves, and so uh, I, I will tell you that that word, world, we're going to talk about today. Uh, and it's just translated to mean cosmos, but it has several different uses in the New Testament. The first one is the one that was popularized by a guy named Carl Sagan. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but he talked about the cosmos, right? He talked about the created universe, although to him it was not created. Uh, But the created universe, and that is one meaning. When God created the universe, it was good, God said. Another 
another use of that word was to mean all of humanity. And as God looks at humanity, he loves us. And so God loves the world. And so when we talk about God loving the world, we mean he loves people. He loves humanity. He loves us. But then there's this use of the word world. And it means the system completely opposed to God, his word, and his people. It is inherently evil. And it is opposed to God. So for today, when we talk about the world, that will be the definition that we use. The system of things that are completely opposed to God, his word, and his people. So for me today, I want us to talk through what is that? Okay, JC, we get the world, but what does that mean? What does that mean exactly for us not to love the world? And there are three things talked about in that first passage of 1 John 2, and they're just this. They're the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we're gonna use them a little more specifically because it would be very easy if you woke up, we would think, if we woke up and things were like, that is a fleshly desire. That is a desire that I can see with my eyes. That's bad. And hey, there's an attitude probably to avoid with pride of life. I'm not gonna do that. But then we see other things. It's like, that's a godly desire just labeled for you. Like maybe with a neon sign that would point to that. Like, read your Bible this morning. It's the Bible. God would love that. You would love that. Right? That, we would think that would be easy. Right? Now, Mark will tell us next week, may not be as easy as we think it would be. But today, we want to label what are some things that the world really tells us we should pursue instead of Jesus. And they're very subtle. They're not always obvious. They're not always in front of us, even though they are opposed to the things of God. And so we're gonna start today, and I'm gonna give you some language that I think will make a little more sense to us as we talk about those things. So uh, today, here's three things that the world wants to convince us to pursue. And the first one is this. The world wants to convince us to pursue the temporal over the eternal. Those things that are temporary instead of the things that last forever. Now, for me, I think we kind of see this because we have this conversation every week. And this, this one conversation that we have can divide us. It can harm relationships. It can ruin the rest of our week. It can make today a ridiculously hard day if it doesn't go our way. And that question is this. What's for lunch? What's for lunch? You've got to take into account who has allergies. You've got to think about who's actually coming. Will they be able to sit us? How many people are going to be there? Then you've got to talk about, is it on Woodruff Road, right? Like there's so many things to think about for that one question, what is lunch? And it's followed by what's for dinner. And it happens every single day. And it is amazing to me how much struggle and conflict there is over such a simple question that will come right back around and we will ask it again. What's also difficult is, is we come into this room where we are to talk about eternity, to talk about the God of this universe and his love towards us, that our mind can be focused on such temporary things. But isn't it true, isn't that just a, a simple way to illustrate that our minds tend to wander to the temporary? So let's talk about this verse that explains this very clearly to us, and it's Matthew chapter six, verse 24, and it'll be on the screen. My son has learned a little simplified version of this, and he just says, no one can serve two masters. And it's true. No one can serve 
two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. We cannot love both God and money in this case, in this context of this verse. But we can't serve two masters. You will serve one. So I'm just gonna ask this as we start to talk about this. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer the things of this world? Or do you prefer the things of God? Who is your master? Whom do you serve? So these schemes, they're so important for us to to understand. They're so important for us to know. And the temporary over the eternal is one that we come into contact with all the time. The temporary is such an easy one for us to see sometimes, right? Sometimes. But I'll just tell you, here's a big one for me. For me, when I think about my life and I begin to think about the temporary versus the eternal, there's a a quote that comes to mind. Uh, I was privileged to go through this material this past year. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book with his wife named uh, Lisa and the title of that book was You and Me Forever. Now the quote that I'm about to give you has absolutely nothing to do with marriage at all. Not even a little part. But the quote has began to make me think through decisions in my life. And the quote's just this. I think it's on the screen. It says, people accuse me of going overboard, preparing for the next 10 million years of eternity. And I think people are going overboard, preparing for the next 10 years or the last 10 years of their life. And isn't it true? I mean, there's a movie about this. There's this thing that you probably have thought about called your bucket list, right? The things you want to do before you die. But the question I have for you is this. What have you been investing into your eternal portfolio? Scripture teaches us that we're supposed to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. What have you been storing up? Here's my other question for you. As I think through this idea of temporary versus eternal, What have you been doing with your family? Here's here's an easy way to think about this. Christmas was just around the corner, right? It wasn't that long ago. Probably still fresh in your mind. What conversations did you have around your Christmas tree or around your Christmas table to talk about Jesus? Did Jesus get lost in the shuffle of presents and Santa Claus? I know it was busy. There's family and there's presents and there's memories and all those things, but Was he truly for you the reason you gathered, the reason you celebrated? Brookwood provided a resource to have a conversation. It's not that resource is the one and only resource to talk about Jesus, by no means. But did you you use a resource to talk about him? Did you take an opportunity to share with your family why you celebrate Christmas? That would probably be a good barometer to see where you're at as far as what am I valuing? Do I value the temporary over the eternal? Matthew 6 says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves can break in and steal. Store your treasures up in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy them and thieves cannot break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you storing up for your life here on earth? 
How can we battle against this mindset? I don't think this strategy is new. It's not gonna be uh, innovative to you. It's not gonna be different. You're not gonna walk away going, oh, I've never heard that before. But it's simply this. It's to learn about eternal life. It's to learn about the kingdom of God. How do you do that? Through reading God's word, through prayer. That's how we do it. When you begin to learn about the eternal life, you begin to see things that are temporary in a much different way. But you have to be aware of the differences between the eternal and the temporal. If you begin to live as if, Scripture says, you are in this world, but you are not of this world, it will change. It will change. We see examples of this all the time. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. That's where I grew up. Barbecue is beautiful there. It's amazing. It's different. It's very different. There's a barbecue joint on pretty much every corner in Memphis. It's glorious. If you love barbecue, you've never been there, you should go. But there will be things about me that are different because I am from a different place. You guys are excited about some football game. I was excited about the basketball games that happened this weekend. Very excited. It's different. You could tell if you spent time with me, JC's not from South Carolina. If people were to spend time with you, would they know you're from the kingdom of God? Would they know that this place is not your home? Would it even be confusing some of the things that you do? Because it doesn't make sense for this world. The second thing that the world tries to convince us to pursue is comfort over contentment. This is maybe one we are most aware of because we see it in other people. Right, you watch reality television and you go, oh my goodness, look at what they spent on socks. I've watched an episode of a, a show one time and the guy never wore the same pair of socks twice. I was like, that is crazy, that's crazy. But it's easy for me to go, look at that person, right? Look at that person and how they use their possessions. But it, sometimes it's more difficult to see how we are using these things. Technology's awesome, it really is. It makes our life wonderful. Right, so many things it helps. And listen, I know there's some uh, things out there that young people, you know, it, it's frustrating that how they use technology and all that stuff. And you know what, some of that's true. I will also tell you this, you are their teacher. So you, you can have an influence there on how they use technology. And I think you should. I think you should absolutely have an influence on that. It's one of the main things we're gonna be talking about at the phase conference. How do you help your kids understand how to use technology? It's amazing to me that we won't give a 16-year-old a car without practice, but we will give them a cell phone without boundaries and practice. Just as dangerous. Absolutely just as dangerous. But why? Because it makes us comfortable. It makes them comfortable. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that talks about the comforts of life. And it seems as if this passage really is talking to us today. The context is different, but I still believe that if you read this with trepidation, you'll begin to understand some things that may parallel your life. So check this out. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses 11. That is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations and decrees that I am giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, 
And when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all of this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he conferred to your ancestors with an oath. God knew when we would get comfortable, we would forget him. Contentment even sounds a little negative to us. It sounds like settling. I just got two things to say about that. One, we don't have an understanding of what is truly available to us because of Jesus Christ. Riches untold. Love, joy, peace, to wake up knowing that you are accepted and good because of what he's done for you. A lack of awareness. And the second thing is this. Settling is just a subtle way to say you need something else to be somebody. I mean, the Israelites could understand this. Sometimes we look at them and we go, how could they forget? How could they forget God They were free from slavery. I mean, in order to get to where they were, a sea had to be split in half. I mean, if you've ever seen a children's Bible illustrate this, as you walk on dry ground and you see fish kind of congealed in the sea, right? Like it's amazing to imagine what that would have been like. To get water from the rock. The amazing things that they experienced, we go, how could they forget? And yet, here's what I challenge you to do this week. Share with your kids or your neighbors or your friends everything that God has done in your life. I mean, it's easy. I mean, JC, it's just, it'd be too long, too much, or I I forgot some of the things that God has done. It's easy, isn't it? It's easy. Give your kids and those closest to you a picture of how big God is. Some of it may be embarrassing for you, but it will be glorifying to God. And then there's a promise after this passage of scripture that we just read in Deuteronomy. It says this, but I assure you of this, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, you also will be destroyed if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. Now again, we can sugarcoat this and say, well, this is for the Israelites, that's a different time, this is a different time, it's very different. But if you choose the things of the world over the things of God, John lays out for us that the love of the Father will not be in you. It will not be in you. These things that comfort us will destroy us. It's amazing to me that sometimes when we make these decisions, we make decisions to avoid short-term pain. 
And I got a four-year-old, believe me, I know what short-term pain is, right? Like, you guys remember tantrums? I mean, whew, they're rough, short-term. But long-term, we don't want him to have tantrums. So you can avoid the tantrums forever by pacifying, right? Like, solving it for him. Or you can deal with the short-term pain. So here's the thing. We, when we avoid short-term pain for short-term gain, we will eventually find the pain. It will just be long-term. Whereas if we take the pain now, it will result in gain long-term. And yes, I'm not just talking about in heaven. Yes, we will gain in heaven to sacrifice the things of this world, but you will gain here on earth sacrificing the things of this world. But if we don't, we become like this. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created rather than the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. So how do we fight the desire for comfort over contentment? How do we fight against that? Richard Foster wrote a book years ago called The Celebration of Discipline. And in it, one of the disciplines he described was a life of simplicity, which just means living a simple life. In fact, he gave very practical things like uh, make a habit of giving things away. Buy things for usefulness rather than status. Beauty is pain is some saying that somebody came up with, but we do. why is beauty pain? Because we want to be beautiful. And yet God says, we are. Buy things for usefulness rather than status. Teach your kids how to give away. How many things in your attic do you have or your storage or your basement that you never use but could be very useful to someone else? Why are you keeping them? Rainy day? You might need them one day. That person might let you borrow it. It's crazy if you give it to them. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. How much are you looking forward to the next thing? If you gain nothing else, will you be okay? If you never get that promotion, if you never get that job, if you never make that team, if you never find that person, if you never have that child, will you be okay? Is God's kingdom your number one priority based on your calendar, your checkbook, and the people who know you best. Are you happy with what you've been given? There's a passage from Galatians that I think talks about this. It just says this, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God.
The last thing that the world tries to convince us to pursue instead of Jesus is a self-made life instead of a life of self-denial. These things may not seem very closely related, but in our culture where authenticity is king, my struggle is my identity, it's very subtle, the differences. This strategy aligns with the phrase called pride of life in 1 John chapter two. And it is about an attitude and not a possession. I will give you today my most favorite quote. I use this quote more than any other quote. It is one that has helped shape me more than anything else as someone who grew up in church. And it's by one of my favorite authors named Dallas Willard. And he says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. See, the thing is, is some of us in this room have been pursuing Jesus for many, many years. And we begin to take pride in the things that we've done in our relationship with him. In our pursuit, we have pride. Have you done this Bible study? You've been a part of this group. Have you taken this class? But grace and pride cannot coexist. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must pick up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Another translation says, you will certainly lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The cross was a tool of torture designed to kill men. Jesus asked us to pick it up, one, so that we will identify with him because he carried a cross designed to kill him. But he also does not ask us to carry that cross alone. The life of a follower of Jesus is a life of self-denial. That you put others first and you put your relationship with God as number one priority. So here's a question I have for you. Are you striving for something? Must you gain something in order to justify your life? Maybe it's not a possession. Maybe it's an apology from someone who hurt you deeply. Maybe it's that person who was always harsh to you to give you a compliment, to tell you that they're proud. Do you realize that God has given you everything? In case you need a reminder, I'll give you a quick one. When you were being born, does anybody remember going through a Rolodex of places to live that you got to choose? Anybody? Like in the womb, were you like scrolling through like, hmm, Southeast where they preach the gospel sounds good, and America where life is really comfortable. Anybody remember that? And yet, that is where you live. God has given you that. We avoid a lot of things because of God's grace. Remember that everything we have comes from God. Those who belong to Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Have you crucified the desires of your flesh? Not mortally wounded them, 
not inconvenience them, but kill them? Have you made a habit of denying yourself? What must we deny ourselves? The passions, the things that are opposed to God, anything that might distract us from Jesus. I think John Wesley said that anything that cools our relationship with God is the world. What has a tendency to distract you from Jesus? Get rid of it. God knew this would be something that we would struggle with. That's why he instituted something that I believe are necessary to living the kingdom life. They're not new, they're old, but there's some things that we tend to struggle with. And it's this, rest. Rest. I'm not just talking about sleep, although that's a part of that. Rest. Whether you're on the corporate ladder or the mom ladder, which sometimes seems like it only goes down. What are you striving for? Are you pursuing anything other than Jesus? See, I'm thankful that as we think about this, it's burdensome. It's burdensome to think about the system of the world. So real quick, let's take a deep breath. Because thankfully that passage in Ephesians 2 doesn't end there. Doesn't end at verse three of us being dead. It continues. Let me say this real quick about rest before I move too fast. God gave a day and he called it the Sabbath where we are not supposed to work. I'm gonna give you a formula for a good Sabbath, okay? Here it is. Pray and play. Your kids are geniuses at this. Pray and play. If your Sabbath doesn't look like that, you're probably not resting. You're probably not depending on God to do the work for you. But JC, how's the work gonna get done? God will work on your behalf. That's why he instituted the Sabbath, so that the Israelites could watch him work. I mean, there's so much to do. I know about there being a lot to do. I get that. I want, I want students and kids to fall in love with Jesus. There will always be kids to fall in love with Jesus. But we have to let God work, and we have to trust him, and we have to watch him work on our behalf. Do you trust God to work on your behalf? And let's be honest, what really has to get done anyway? This world is passing away. What has to get done? And I'm emphasizing that, have to. There are probably more important things to get done sometimes. And sometimes it's good for somebody else to do those things. Trust God. Play and pray for one day a week. That's the Sabbath. Now let's go back to this passage in Ephesians 2 because it's a new year. It's a new year. And we want to put our effort towards something. And as we talk about these enemies, I don't want you to forget our most important ally. 
is Jesus Christ. So if you remember at the beginning of Ephesians 2, we talked about us being dead, lifeless, no pulse. And we ended in verse 3, talking about how by our very nature we are subject to God's anger. Verse 4 starts like this, but God. And I don't want to move too far past that because I want you to understand that in the middle of our death, God moves. He interacts. He loves us. He cares for us. But God means that there is no life or anything good inside of us. God moves towards us because of his love for us. But God is a phrase that you would do good to remember this year. Because in the midst of your circumstances, as you struggle, but God. As you think about how a situation cannot be redeemed, but God. Remember him. This passage continues on. But God who is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when we raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with him in Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Jesus. See, today, some of us in this room would do good to remember that we were dead, but God has given us new life. For you, some of you in this room today might not have life given to you by God, but know that it is available to you. And we want you to have it. We want to start this new year off by remembering what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to take a moment to pause and reflect and take the Lord's Supper together. If you received elements, please get those out. And if you did not receive elements as you came in today, please lift your hand and the ushers will get to you. Also, if you need gluten-free elements, we want you to be able to take these. So those are available at the information desk if you'd like to get some of those as well. Let's take a moment and evaluate ourselves and ask God to show us who we truly are. Is there any sin that you haven't confessed to God? Is there a relationship with unresolved conflict? Now is the time to deal with that. Let's spend some time with God asking him to search us. God, we love you. We pray during this time that you would show us ourselves. Speak to us, God. Show us the innermost parts of our being. Show us if we have unresolved sin or if we're in conflict with another person. Scripture says this, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. Lord Jesus took some bread 
and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way. He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death again until he comes. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I pray as we start a new year that we establish some old practices. And God, I pray for those in here who maybe for the first time today understood that they were dead. God, I pray that they would take a step to learn about the life that you want to put in them. Thank you, God, for the but God in our lives. Jesus, we love you and we are thankful for who you are and what you've done. I pray and ask that this year will be the year that we know you best. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.